word today. We are in a series this month that we've called uh, Revision, A Year of Faith. And uh, we, we just, Joy and I felt like the Lord was leading us strongly to start the year off talking about faith and bold faith and what that looks like. You know, one of the core values of this church is that we would have radical faith, that we would believe God for big things in our life, not for our glory, but for his. And, uh, you know, 2020, our, a lot of our faith took a hit. And uh, 21, we believe it's time for faith to rise up. And uh, as I've been saying, we're not going to let fear derail the vision we have for this church. It's not going to do it. God is who he is. He's the same as he was 10 years ago today. He does not change, and we can trust him. And uh, we, have, uh, we have a God that has called us and equipped us to live a life of faith. Let me say that again. He has called us, but he has also equipped us to live this life of faith that he has called us to live. And uh, we've been sharing the same text verse each week this month, and uh, we're going to do it again today. In fact, I'm going to have you stand with me, please, if you would, just in honor of reading the word this morning. Hebrews 11, 6. The Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. It's the chapter that, that honors all of those people that had great faith. And in verse 6, the writer tells us, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe, have faith, that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, Jesus invites us into places of greater faith. And we've been talking about the invitations of Jesus these four weeks. We, we talked about uh, the invitation to, to have faith to know him and the faith to step out. And today we're going to talk about the faith to live free. God has called us and equipped us for freedom in our life. In fact, I have a subtext today. You guys are getting a two-for-one today. I'm going to give you another verse that's just for today. Excuse me, just for today. It's out of Ephesians 3 and verse 12. It says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Because of what he did, we can approach him with freedom and confidence. Man, that's a wonderful verse that is so often hidden in Scripture. Jesus gave us many invitations to freedom, and today we're going to look at a few. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we do love you today. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, we give you this time. We give you our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would do your work. Move us out of the way so you can do your work in our lives today. God, we just ask that you would have your way. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome in this place. Come, have your way in our lives. Let our hearts be good soil for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen, amen. Well, look to your neighbor before you're seated and say, you are destined to be free. Hallelujah. Destined for freedom. You know, you may wonder what faith and freedom have in common. And I'll tell you today that they have everything in common. Because there is no true freedom without faith in Jesus. I could stay on that little saying all day and talk about it all day. There is no real freedom without faith in Jesus. And those that think you can be free without Jesus, it's a fallacy. We cannot do it. Many try. There's a lot of people that try to have freedom in their life without really allowing Jesus to bring them that freedom. And you can even have some, some semblance of it in your life in some way, but it's always built on toothpicks. It's never going to be the solid foundation of freedom that God wants you to have without Jesus. I look at our subtext again in Ephesians 3.12. It says that in him and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. So that's telling me that because of what he did, not because I'm good enough, 
Not because I've got enough faith, not because I've done enough things or because I've stayed away from enough bad things, not because of any of that, but because of what he has done in him, through him, and our faith in him causes us to be free. So our freedom in our life is based on Jesus, what he did for us, and our faith in Jesus and what he did for us. That brings us freedom. And it's the only place that we're really going to find freedom in our life. Now, does that mean you have to be a Christian to be free? Yes, it does. I'm not afraid to say it because I know where real freedom comes from. I've experienced it in my own life. And I know that anything outside of that doesn't work. In fact, Jesus told us very clearly, John 14, 6, you guys know this verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can't do it. There is no other way. And anybody that would try to tell you that there's many ways to God, they don't know it. Jesus, but Jesus also said, and this is the beauty of it, he says it's only through me. That can seem kind of self-serving, right? Well, when you're God, you can kind of do that because he's the only one that really made a way for us. But then he gives us this wonderful promise in John 8, 36. He says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free indeed. It's the only real freedom that you'll ever experience is through the Son. Oh, but it is so powerful, church, when we get that freedom. When we learn how to walk out that freedom in our life, there is no other way but to be free through him. And the time for our freedom is now. I say it again. The time for your freedom is now. The time for my freedom is now. There is no, there's no need to wait. There is no needing to, you know, in some, in some things in life, if you're trying to climb a ladder, a corporate ladder, or you're trying to get somewhere in life, sometimes they, they make you do a thing called paying your dues. You know, you got you to gotta pay your dues. You got to lay the groundwork to be able to get to that place. Not, not when it comes to the, our faith in Jesus and when it comes to freedom. You don't have to pay your dues. You don't have to do your time. You know, if you're in prison, you got to do your time before you can get out. Nope. Jesus has paid the fee. He has paid the price. You are free to go. The door is open. You are free to leave anytime you want. He has made a way for each and every one of us. We don't have to wait. You know, when I was in uh, elementary school, my first few years of school, I went to a small Christian school, and uh, I think it was second grade, and uh, I did something in the morning to get me in trouble. I can't remember exactly what it was. I think I might have pulled a chair out from under a kid when he was going to sit down. I'm sure he deserved it, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, the teacher caught me, so she gave me the worst punishment for a second grader there could ever be. I wasn't allowed to go to recess. I mean, as I was like, you might as well just kill me, teacher, because there's nothing else, you know? And so I had to stay back from recess. And I remember about 10 minutes into recess, I was sitting in the classroom and I could hear the kids outside screaming and laughing. I felt like they were hamming it up extra because they knew I was inside. And um, all of a sudden the teacher comes in and she goes, she just looks at me and she says, all right, you can go. And she let me go. And I was supposed to have to stay in the whole recess. And let me tell you, it did not, I didn't have to, I didn't pull the whole like, oh no, I'll stay here. You know, I was like, boom, it was like a cloud of dust. And I was out, and I remember I ran out on the playground, and I was like, I'm here. And all my friends saw me, and they're like, whoa, did you escape? I said, no, she let me go. I'm telling you, church, that was the greatest day of recess I've ever had in my life. I don't even remember what I did, but I just know I was floating. And you know why? It was because I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. I wasn't supposed to have that freedom. But 
the teacher extended grace and mercy to me and let me go. And I enjoyed the freedom of that recess more than I've ever enjoyed it before and probably ever since. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us, church. That's exactly what he has done for us. We deserve to be staying inside from recess. We deserve to be in torment. We deserve to be in hell. We deserve every negative thing that could come our way. We deserve it. But Jesus said, nope, not on my watch. He came and he made a way for each and every one of us to live in the freedom that he so desires. And you would say, well, then why don't I feel free? Because I'm not, I'm not up here to just preach a rah-rah sermon to make us all feel good for 10 minutes. I want it to, make, to produce fruit in our lives that will last. Because I know enough to know that in this room, a lot of us don't really feel free, even though we, believe, we know it, we see it, but I just don't feel it. And I'll be incredibly transparent with you. There's days I don't feel it. We don't just, it's not, life isn't, you know, after that recess was over, I still had to go back inside and go back to class. You know, there's still, even though we're free, it doesn't mean everything just goes smoothly for the rest of our life. And what gets us in trouble is that we have some bad thinking. You know, we think, well, if I'm free, then I shouldn't struggle with any sins. If I'm free, why does my thought life go crazy? Why do I lust all the time? Or why do I struggle with fear and anxiety so much? And why can't I get these sins that come into my life? Why can't I get them under control? If I'm really free, why isn't it manifesting in my life? Well, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with that today. Because I do believe a lot of it is just bad thinking. And it is very important. It is, so, it is crucial that we understand what freedom looks like. Because it doesn't always look like what we think it looks like. It's not a life of recess. It's really not. It'd be nice if it was, but it's not. It doesn't mean we never struggle with sin. It doesn't mean we never have any difficulties. It doesn't mean there are never any struggles in our life. I love what James Robinson said one time. He said, you know, freedom in Christ is not freedom from the fight. It's freedom to the fight. And I love it because just that little phrase shifts your thinking immediately. Like, it's not that we're free and we get to kick back. It's not like I was, I was mentioning this morning, like when we were, uh, under British rule, and we decided we wanted to be on our own anymore, you know, taxation without representation, the Revolutionary War, Declaration of Independence, all that. We fought a revolutionary war, and we won. And what happened? The British picked up their stuff, and they went home. And for the most part, they left us alone. And we got to, we've enjoyed that freedom ever since, right? And I think sometimes we can think that that's what the freedom that Jesus brings us looks like too, that the enemy's defeated, and so he just licked his wounds, and he walked away and leaves us alone. Well, your enemy, your spiritual enemy doesn't do that. He is defeated, but he won't ultimately be defeated until the end. So he's defeated, he's under your feet, but you have to exercise that in your life. You're not free from the fight, you're free to the fight. See, before, we were bringing a stick to fight an armored truck. Now at least we have the tools we need to fight fair. The Lord has given us his Holy Spirit to help us fight the battles that he wants us to win. Being free doesn't mean we never have any injustice in our life. You know, justice is a word you're hearing thrown around a lot right now. Hashtag all over the place, right? Justice is a big deal, and we should want justice. That's a good thing. But you know what? Just because you're free doesn't mean you won't experience injustice in your life. It doesn't mean you won't be wrongfully accused. It won't mean people won't treat you unfairly. You won't get overlooked for something, for, for a reason that's not fair. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And at least five of the books that he wrote for the New Testament, he wrote from prison, where he talked a lot about freedom in Christ. 
You guys see the irony there? Now, was he delusional? No. He could write about freedom in Christ from prison because he knows that there's a freedom that Jesus gives that the world can't take away. No prison cell can take away the freedom that Jesus gives us because it's not about the things of this world. So Paul is saying we have freedom, and Paul's like, listen, I'm in prison for, for t- talking about Jesus, the most loving person, entity, God that could ever be, and I'm being put in prison for it, yet I'm free. I'm free because I know what I deserve. Your prison's nothing compared to what I deserve, no matter how bad you can make it. So if Paul can do that, then we can talk about freedom no matter what we have to deal with in this life. Circumstances can't take away our freedom. Circumstances cannot take away your freedom. And I'll get into that in a minute. But you know, our freedom, as I said, it does not mean that the battle stops. The battle is still raging, church. Over you, the battle is still raging. There is an enemy of your soul that wants nothing more than to keep you from being free. Now, you have authority over him. As we sang that song, I have the authority that Jesus has given me because he's our champion. But yet we walk around defeated. He's undefeated, but we walk around defeated as a church way too often. We have to be aware of the battle. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12, which, by the way, he wrote from prison. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, the enemy is always trying to take your freedom. He's always trying to take your freedom. And we have to be careful not to just look at our freedom from the natural perspective. We have freedoms in this nation that we enjoy, and those are good. But that's not spiritual freedom. There are a lot of people in this country that are bound up and defeated and in bondage to sin. We must continue to fight. This is why Paul also said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we're free is what Paul's saying here. It's done. The work is done. You, me, we're free if we're in Christ. But he also goes on after that to say, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So if we're free, why do we have to stand firm? Because the battle's raging. And if we want freedom and we want to continue to live in that freedom, we have to fight for it. We have to fight for our freedom. Our freedom grows as our faith grows. It's not the other way around. Your freedom grows as your faith grows. You want to feel free? Then grow your faith. And that's what we're getting at today. That's what what this month is about, about our faith growing in our life. As our faith grows, we will experience it in our life. So how do I grow my faith? that's That's an honest question, right? I want to grow my faith. How do I grow it? You grow your faith just like you grow anything. You want to grow a garden? You cultivate it, right? You want to grow your faith? You cultivate it. You want to grow a person? You feed it. My uh, teenage son right now is in the middle of a growing spurt, and you don't even have to see him to know it. You just have to look at our pantry. In fact, if you can't find Noah, just go look in the pantry. That's where he is. He is devouring everything in sight. He's cultivating his body, and it's growing. That's what happens to us. We, whatever we cultivate in our life grows. 
If you cultivate the fear in your life, it will grow. You cultivate the faith in your life, it will grow. You cultivate your thought life to go to places it shouldn't go, it'll continue to grow. But if you cultivate it to think on the things of God, it'll grow in their faith. It's very simple. Now, it's not easy, but it's simple. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, chapter 10, verse 17, he says, So then faith comes by hearing. So faith grows, in other words, by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So we saturate ourselves in the word of God. The word of God is this. It's getting with him. It's listening to him speak to your heart in that quiet place. We saturate ourselves. We cultivate the faith in our life through his word in our life. And a beautiful thing happens. The closer we get to God, those things that want to steal that freedom in our life, the less power they have. As our faith grows, those things that would want to steal our freedom are pushed out. The closer I get to God, the fear and anxiety that I'm dealing with all the time, the closer I get to God, the more I know him in his word and I see who he is and I learn about his character and let his character become more in me, the more that happens, the fear and anxiety have to kind of bow their knee to him. They don't have place anymore. Now I start to believe that I don't have to fear or I don't have to be anxious, not because the preacher said I have to, but because I'm starting to believe it, because I'm seeing it for myself. Because it's in me now. It's not just something I'm hearing from a stage. The closer I get to God, the selfishness that we deal with, the greed that we deal with in our own life. It turns into generosity in our life. The the Lord pushes that greed and selfishness out and it becomes generosity because we see the generosity of our God. And I see how good he is to me. And rather than than take it off myself, I want to share it. I want to share him. I want to share what he has given me because I know when I know him, I know that everything I have is a blessing from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. That happens as we grow closer to him. The, the, the lustful thoughts you, maybe you deal with, okay? As you grow closer to God, those lustful thoughts have to bow the knee to the purity of who he is and who he's called us to be. I don't stop lusting because I just know I'm supposed to, but all of a sudden those thoughts get to be get to being replaced with the purity of God. I have a desire for purity because I see who he is and what he's called me to. I don't just want to do it because it's the right thing. I do it because I love him. And it's a response to his love for me. And it's a beautiful thing. And our faith grows And starts to push those other things out. Church, one of the biggest reasons that so many in the church aren't walking around in freedom but are actually walking around defeated is because the meal of faith that we're getting in our life is coming only on Sunday morning. This isn't meant to be your only meal that you eat that grows your faith. Sunday morning is meant to reinforce what you're doing through the week. It's meant for us to come together to reinforce, to encourage, to build you up. But we're called to be self-feeders. I mean, unless you guys want to come to church every day. <laughs> I'm here every day, so if you want to come, let's do this. But, but even in that, I'm not meant to be the only person feeding you. We're self-feeders. That's the only way we grow. I can tell you that's where you grow. I don't... I haven't, I don't, the moments of my biggest growth, I don't go back to a church service. I go to my quiet place when I'm in the word and I'm reading something and I read it and it jumps out at me and I'm like, wait a minute, did I just read that? And I read it again and it starts to change my heart. 
it starts to stir in me and I realize these aren't just words. This is the word of God. And that's what, that's why Paul said in Romans 10, that's what builds your faith is by hearing the word. And it, you know, we don't have to take that literally. It doesn't have to be heard with your ears. It can be heard with your spirit. When you're reading the word, you're hearing the word. So don't let Sunday morning be the sum total of the food you're eating, the spiritual food. You'll never get to where God wants. You'll never experience the freedom he wants you to have. I can promise you. I can promise you. It just doesn't work that way. We grow in our faith just like we grow as a human. You don't grow from being a baby to an adult in a, in a heartbeat. It takes time. We grow by staying committed to his word and to who he is. I, I mean, I, I can tell you from my own life, I've, I've grown. I feel like I'm, I'm growing all the time in my life, but the growth comes from just every day being in the word. Like I'm to the point in my life where I'm mean, even joy knows if I have a day off, I still, I want to get up. I want to read my Bible because I just want to be filled with his word. I want it to grow my faith because as my faith grows, my freedom grows. It grows. And church, I want to be free. I want to be free more than I want anything else in this life for myself. I want to be free. There's nothing like it. Nothing like the freedom that we can get in Jesus. So our faith comes by hearing, but it's revealed by our doing. What you do reinforces what you believe, not what you say you believe. Okay? So we go from hearing, we hear the word. We can't just sit in our quiet place and read 25 chapters of our Bible every day and be done with it. We have to put our faith into action. We have to live it out. That's for us, but it's also for the world. They need to see followers of Jesus looking like followers of Jesus. Right? They need to see it in you, and they need to see it in me. Wisdom is proved by her actions, Jesus said, but so is faith. He didn't say that. I'm saying, I'm adding it to it. James 1, look what James said. He gives us a little rebuke for those of us that would just want to hear the word and only. If you need a good rebuke, just read James. He'll give it to you every time. James 1, 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So Paul said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. James goes, but don't just listen to it. Don't just read it and deceive yourselves. He says, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, watch this, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Basically, you will forget what you heard if you don't live it. And you cannot be free that way. You guys all know it too. There are people that are full of this that have no freedom at all in their life. They're just religious nuts. Let's be honest. The Pharisees knew more of the word than anybody. And they were bound up more than anybody. And they bound other people up with them. We've got to do it. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, everybody say continues. continues. Not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And don't take that and mean, oh, I'll be blessed. Good, because I need a new car. That ain't what he's talking about. If you want to be, he's going to be blessed. It means you're not going to forget what you look like. You're not going to forget what the word says. So your faith's going to grow. Consequently, your freedom's going to grow. That's what he's saying here. Actively living the life of faith will grow your faith. Faith begets faith. It's really simple. So I got to get into my three points or we're going to be here till tonight. 
We are having prayer tonight at 6, so maybe we'll just stay till then. Everybody good with that? Uh, so Jesus invites us to places of freedom, as I mentioned earlier. And I want to give you a couple things that he invites us to be free from. So things that would want to take our freedom, but don't have to. And first one is that he, gives a, he, he invites us to be free from sin and shame. Yes, he does. Now this is the first one, and it's the most important one. If there is a tree of freedom, the trunk of that tree is the freedom from sin and shame. Every other freedom branches off of that. If you don't know that you're free from sin and the shame that comes with sin, you can't have other freedoms. It all is predicated on this. 1 John 1.9, 1, one of my favorite verses as well. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Now let me stop there for just a second. That means we get the freedom from the penalty that our sins deserve. He doesn't say you don't deserve penalty for your sins. He's saying that he will forgive us. He's extending mercy and grace to us. Then watch this. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only is he not counting them against us, he is making sure there isn't even any residue of that sin that's clinging to us. He's saying you can be completely cleansed. If you confess your sins, he says, I will forgive you of your sins. I will take away the the sin that is is in your life, and I will take away the shame that comes with it. Church, a lot of us live with shame. And Jesus would say, you don't have to live with that shame. You don't have to live with shame from your past. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you made. It doesn't matter what mistakes you made this morning. If you bring it to him and confess it, he says, not only will I forgive it, I'll make sure there isn't even any residue of it hanging around. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Because let's be honest, if if the thoughts in our head we're all posted on a, on a big monitor above our head for everybody to see. Every one of us would hide in a dark closet for the rest of our life. Right? Every one of us has reason to have shame. Everyone. But God says, no, not on my watch. There's no reason. We are free from sin and shame in our life. We're free from the bondage of sin. Now, it doesn't mean that as Christians that we just never have any struggles ever again, that we just don't sin and we're just pure and faultless. There's still going to be moments, there's still times in our life, we're still human beings where we have these struggles, but we're not in bondage to those sins. We're free. There's a difference between the lifestyle of sin and sinning, okay? Everybody sins, but we don't have to live in the lifestyle. We don't have to be, we don't have to embrace it. We don't have to be in bondage to it. You know, I'm, I'm getting older and I want to take care of myself. And I'm not like Noah anymore, and I can't just eat whatever I want and still weigh 100 pounds. So we have to be careful what we eat as we get older, right? We have to take care of ourselves. We cannot be in bondage to pizza and ice cream, okay? That doesn't mean that I don't give in to having pizza and ice cream sometimes, right? And I'm not saying sin is pizza and ice cream. I'm making a comparison here to help us understand that just because I do that doesn't mean I'm in bondage to it. And just because I may... I may fall and, and falter and have, a, have an episode or a sin in my life doesn't mean I'm in bondage to that sin because I'm free from it. Amen. There may still be struggles because, as I've been saying, the battle is still raging. Paul said, stand firm. And we're human beings, and we're sinful by nature. So until we actually see Jesus face to face, it's going to be a constant battle for us. But there's a difference between that and being in bondage to it. And you know the difference. Because if you're in bondage to something, you know you can't say no to it. I can say no to pizza. I don't like to, but I do it. But if you're in bondage to something, you can't say no to it. 
But we don't have to be that. We are free. We are not slaves to sin. The invitation that Jesus showed us to free us from sin and shame was, the, was in John 8 from the woman caught in adultery. And you guys, most of you know the story. Pharisees brought this woman in front of Jesus, threw her down in front of him and said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Moses' law said we should stone her. What do you say? They were testing Jesus, obviously. And uh, Jesus bends down in the dirt, starts writing in the dirt with his finger. We don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote caused all these Pharisees to leave. They just left him and said, we're out of here. Until all that was left standing there was him, Jesus, and this woman. And he asked the woman, he said, where are your accusers? Is no one condemning you? And look at her response in verse 8. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And here's his invitation to us, church. Go now and leave your life of sin. He invited her to be free from sin. He invited her to be free. He says, you are free. He could have, she would have, they would have been completely justified in stoning her according to the old law. But Jesus extended grace and mercy to her. This is, this is one of those instances while he was still on earth where his grace was being evident. And he invites her. He didn't just say like, hey, I forgive you, go do your thing. He says, leave your life of sin. That's what he's calling us to do. For all of us to leave our life of sin. Now, if you're, if you're someone here today that you would say, well, I've never really considered myself a Christian, you know, but I do want God to forgive me. Jesus tells all of us to leave our life of sin, but we can't do that without him. There, there's, a, there's people out there who would, would want you to say you don't have to be a follower of Jesus. If you mess up, you just ask God to forgive you and he will. And it's not how it works. To, to receive the forgiveness of Jesus, we have to give our lives to him. We have to say, okay, my life is not my own anymore, Jesus. I give it to you. And then that's when his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace is, is brought into your life, that your sins are washed white as snow. Though you're a crimson, you will be white as snow. And you will receive his forgiveness and live for him. It's a decision you make, but then it's a lifelong journey. So if you're here today and you've never done that, I invite you today to do it. You don't, it doesn't have to be a spectacle. It can just be you in the privacy of your chair sitting right there. It could be in the car after you leave today. But don't go another day without giving your life and giving your heart to him and receiving his forgiveness for your sins. It's so worth it. Okay, well, the second one is freedom from the lies. Now, obviously, there are a lot of freedoms that Jesus gave us that, that he wants us to walk in. I'm giving you a few today. These are just ones God put on my heart. So this is not exhaustive by any means, but, you know, we're bombarded by lies every day. Some are superficial. Some are a little worse. You know, advertisers, they're lying to you guys every day. They'll say whatever they got to say to get the money out of your wallet. Guys, not care how much of that cologne you buy from Macy's, you're not going to look like the dude in the commercial. And your insurance agent isn't going to play fetch with your dog. I'm not going to help you with your bees. They don't do that. They want your money. And they'll do what they got to do and say what they got to say to make you feel like you want to give them your money. They lie to you. You were lied to by politicians every day. We're lied to by media every day. We're lied to on social media every day. All these. Now, these are superficial to, for the most part. But, you know, there are lies that actually come at us that affect our freedom. And those are the lies that Jesus came to set us free from. The lies that would say, you're not good enough. That God's 
mad at you or God doesn't love you, God doesn't care about you. If he cared about you, these things in your life wouldn't be happening. You don't matter. You're insignificant. You don't look a certain way, so you can't, you can't be called by God. You got you to look a certain way. You got to fit a certain mold. You got to be a certain gender. You got to be a certain color. You got to be a certain uh, socioeconomic status. All these lies that are fed to us that if we believe, they will take our freedom. And let me tell you, some of these lies only have to be told to you by outside sources. You, can, you got them in your head rattling around long enough that you can tell yourself lies. Nobody, I said this last week, but nobody lies to you more than you. Nobody. The devil doesn't even lie to you as much as you do. I think he sits back sometimes and goes, shoot, I don't have to do anything. He's doing it all for me. Jesus came to set us free from the lies that take away our freedom. And sometimes it feels like the truth actually hides from us, right? Sometimes the lies are so intense and there's so many. And we believed them for so long that it's hard to even know the truth. It's hard to even believe or hear the truth when it's coming at us. Because the lies are so much easier to believe. The truth is, the truth does not hide from us, but it isn't always waving a big flag either to let us know where it is. We got to be diligent to go get it too. We got to be diligent and eager to find it in our life. And you might ask, well, then how do I know what's true? How do I know? Because, you know, in society today, truth is relative. It's all, I mean, it's been relative for a long time. Truth is whatever I feel it is today. There's a, there's a term that I feel like it's gotten pretty popular just recently that makes my, my head blow up every time I hear it is my truth. The most ridiculous term that's ever been coined in the history of the world. There is truth and there are lies. There's one version of the truth. But in society, it's all relative now because this is how I feel. But let me tell you something, church. What's getting scary is we're seeing it in the church, too. We're seeing truth in the church even becoming relative. Truth has become how it makes me feel spiritually. Like, well, I know it, I know it says this, but I just don't feel, I feel like God feels this way. And so we can even take Scripture and we can even twist it to meet our needs. I mean, you see it all over the place. All over the place. And so there's, there's it, it, rightfully so, there's confusion even among people in church because there are so many, the spectrum for truth in church is very wide now. There's some things all that every church believes together, every Christian church, but you get outside of some of those core beliefs and it goes crazy. And so we don't even know what truth is. But we have to be eager to go find it. Jesus told us how we can find the truth in John 8, 31. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are to my disciples, then you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Jesus invites us to hold to his teachings and live in truth. Now, again, this is a very simple concept. It's not always easy. But one thing we have to know is that to find the truth, we always have to go back to the source of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we go to him to find the truth. And that's where I find my truth is knowing him and being in his word and knowing his character, knowing his heart is where I find the truth. You see, I'm to the place in my life where most of the enemy's lies don't affect me anymore. There are still some that I can deal with sometimes, 
But he can't tell me I'm not good enough. He can't tell me I don't matter. He can't tell me I'm insignificant. He can't, he can't kill my confidence. In fact, frankly, people can't really kill my confidence because my confidence is not based on my ability or me being good enough. My confidence is based on the fact that I know my God and I know he's called me and I know he has a plan for my life and I know he loves me. And because of that, I don't believe the lies. And frankly, some of the lies don't even affect me. If, if I hear in my head sometimes, you know what, you're not good enough. You're not good enough to be the pastor of this church. You know what I say? You're right. Amen. I'm not. That's right. Praise God. If I, if I felt I got to this place because I was good enough, then I'd be in trouble. But I know I'm not. But as much as I know I'm not good enough, I know that I'm called. I know it. And so the lies don't matter. They don't even, they don't even stick to me. They bounce off me. What is it? I'm, uh, I'm rubber in your glue. Everything you say to me bounces off me and sticks to you. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't believe the lies. We meditate on truth. Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 8, which, by the way, was another book he wrote from prison. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Hmm, so what I think about matters. So I can know truth by, by determining in my heart what I'm going to think about. I'm not going to let my thoughts just run wild. I'm not just going to allow myself to go to that empty nothing box that men supposedly have, that we have, right? It's not a good place to go, man. We need to think about what is true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Meditate on these. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. That's a wonder. That's one of the best promises in all the Bible. The God of peace will be with us. Think about what is true. We are free from believing the lies. But again, it's not that the battle's over and we get to kick back and there's no lies that come at us. We have to stand firm. Amen. Stand firm then. Amen? All right, the last one, freedom from hate. Freedom from hate. You know, we are seeing hate on levels in our society today that I never dreamed we'd see. I had never dreamed we would see. Of course, you know, social media has exasperated it, no doubt. And I'm not here to bang on social media. I know it's got, it's, there's a lot of good. I live away from all my extended family, and so getting to see their pictures and stay in touch with them that way is great. But man, has it given every hate spewer a platform. It's really remarkable to see the hatred that we're seeing in our society today. But let me tell you today, church, there is no place for hate in the life of a Christian. No place. Well, maybe country music. It's a little dig at somebody. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. There's nothing wrong with country music. Yes, there is. Anyway, <laughs> other than that, and maybe Alabama, right? Nah, I just kid. Uh, there's Bama fans in here. All right, I'm getting off track. Come on back. Come on back. Um, no place for hate in the life of a Christian. You know, and most of us, as if you've been on this journey for a while, you know that. You know enough not to say you hate things or people. I wasn't even allowed to say hate was a cuss word in my house growing up. If I'd have said, my brother, I hate you, my mom, I, I wouldn't be here today. 
We weren't allowed to say it. So even now, I would never say I hate somebody. But you know what? Hate is just passionate dislike. I can tell you I have passionately disliked plenty of people. So I've had hatred in my heart. But here's the thing. We are not allowed to let that hatred fester. We have no reason in our life to let hatred fester. Whether it's somebody on social media that's upsetting you, whether it's a a parent that has hurt you, or an ex-spouse that did you wrong, or a boss, or God forbid, a pastor, or somebody in ministry, or somebody that mistreated you, there is no place in the life of a Christian for hate. And let me say, church, there's no place in the life of a Christian to hate politicians either. No place. Absolutely no place. Never, ever, never. If you, you we, we, don't have, we don't have any scriptural ground to hate Donald Trump. You don't have scriptural ground to hate Joe Biden. You don't have scriptural ground to hate any politician. Now, you can, you can dislike their policies. You can dislike some of the things they do, but you cannot hate the person. And we cannot be spewing the hate towards those people. Cannot do it. Absolutely cannot do it. In fact, if you have any doubt, Jesus squashed it. Okay, so if you want to keep hating, you got to plug your ears for a second. Because in Matthew 5, 43, Jesus said, You heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So they used to be allowed to do this before Jesus came. But then he said, I say to you, love your enemies Bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you. He doesn't even give us room for apathy. You can't even be apathetic towards people that you passionately dislike. He says to love them and bless them. Let me tell you, church, I I have to pray for politicians. I pray for them. On election day, I prayed a lot. because I was like, I don't want to hate anybody. And you know what? God did an amazing thing. He really, I felt like God spoke to me on the morning of the election. I had no idea what was happening, what was going to be going on. And God said, I need you to pray and pray for all of them that are involved. And I did. And my heart was changed because I, I asked for God's heart for the situation. And you start looking at these people and they're all people. They need Jesus just as much as all of us. No place for hate. But we don't have to do it on our own. Jesus helps us and our faith gives us the freedom from hate. It helps us to love the unlovable. Helps us to love the unlovable. John 4, Jesus' invitation for us to to run from hate is shown in John 4 with the woman at the well. So Jesus had to go to uh, Galilee from Judea. And the path from Judea to Galilee, Samaria was right in the middle, right on the way. And Samaritans were not liked by Jews. They didn't like each other. Jews considered them a half-breed because Samaritans, the race of Samaritans was made of of people that were left at the exile, Jews that were left, they weren't even good enough for the Babylonians to take with them. Like, no, we don't even want them. So they outcast of society. Well, then they, they intermarried with, a, with other people, and they became a, a half-breed, they called them. So they, Jews hated them. In fact, it was very well known that if a Jew had to go from Judea to Galilee, they would go around Samaria, take the long route, just so they'd have to go through it. Incredible racism between the two. So... So Jesus has to go, and it, said, it says in John 4 that he had to go through Samaria, which is interesting because he didn't have to, but he wanted to go through Samaria. It's where he met the woman at the well. And you, you probably know the story of the woman at the well. He, he told her everything about her life. She knew that he was the Messiah. She went into town, told all of her friends. Everybody came to see Jesus. Long story short, it says that a lot of people believed in Jesus that day because of what happened. 
Jesus went a long way that day into to healing the hate between these two people groups. He invites us to do the same, church. Jesus is always about reconciliation. He's always about bringing people together to help us see that our differences don't have to divide us, but they can actually bring us together. They can actually make us closer. And I, we say it all the time, and I'm going to say it again because I just love this church and the fact that when I look out here, I see so much diversity. And it just tells me that we have people that really understand Jesus' heart for each and every one of us. And I, I commend you guys. I thank you for it. When I, I tell people all the time when they ask about our church and I tell them about the demographics and they kind of look at me like, nah, no way. You know, our billboard for a while had, had a picture of people on our billboard of different races, you know, people from our church. And when people come to visit when they're first time, we always ask them, how'd you find out about us? Once a month, somebody would come to this church at the first time. And they'd say, oh, we just saw the billboard. We thought we'd come by. Frankly, we saw the diversity on your billboard and we said, there's no way. And they come in and they go, wow, you actually do have it. Because you just don't see that even in the church. And it just breaks my heart because it's not meant to be that way. We are, we are to come together. We are to be the agents of reconciliation. We're to be the agents that would bring everybody together. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. We all belong together with Jesus at the cross. He invites us to stay away from hate and to love each other. We have to examine our hearts constantly to make sure that we're not being swayed by society, by bad doctrine, there's bad doctrine out there that says the races should stay apart. We have to always be examining our heart and make sure that we're not being swayed. And conversely, Jesus says that the world will hate you because of him. So the fact that you love Jesus, you might have people that hate you just because you're a Christian. And you know what? It doesn't give us the, the license to hate them back. We still got to love them. We still have to love them no matter what. All right, I'm going to finish up. I know we're a little late. Give me a couple more minutes. But I, I gave you things that he, in, he invited us to be free from. I want to give you one thing that he invites us to be free to. And he gives us freedom to rest. Yes, he does. Woo. Anybody need rest? Mm. Matthew 11, 28, 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest comes from Jesus. And here's how we get that rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let me tell you, when we talk about rest, physical rest is one thing. I feel like I can get a good night's sleep and do okay with that. Rest for your soul, that's another thing. That's freedom, church. That is freedom for your soul. To know that you can rest even in your mind, your will, and your emotions, and spiritually just knowing that we can rest in him. But he gives us the key here to know what that is, to rest in him. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. He's not just saying that to toot his horn. He's not saying, hey, I'm gentle and humble. He's saying it because he's saying that's how you find rest, is if you have gentleness in your life, if you have humility in your life, if you come to him with humility, coming to him saying, Jesus, I need you for everything. I need you for everything in my life. You're not, I'm not adding you to my life. I'm not getting saved so you can come along on this journey with me to help me in my life. If I'm getting, giving you my life, I'm giving you everything. Yeah. And know, humility is really just about knowing how much we need him. That's really what it is. Knowing that without him, I'm nothing. I am, my, my life is purposeless 
There's nothing that can give me purpose no matter what happens in my life without Jesus. And as we grow in our relationship with him, we realize even more how much we need him. You know, the, the analogy between uh, being a child and having a father in the, and us being children of God is often used, and I think it's, it's good. But when you talk about in, in the natural realm, when your child is a baby, they need you for everything, right? You got to feed them, you got to change them, you got to bathe them, you got to put them to bed, you got to get them up, you got to do everything. And as they grow, they become more self-sufficient, hopefully, right? If you're doing it right, hopefully. <laughs> but they get to the point where they really don't need you so much anymore. The relationship actually turns from being like this caregiver to, to a lot of times a, a bit of a friendship. You know, our oldest is about to turn 20. And we're like, man, the, the dynamic of our relationship with her is it's becoming more companions than, than just having to take care of every little thing, right? And, but in our spiritual walk, it doesn't work that way. The more we grow in our spiritual walk, the more we realize how much we really need him. The more we realize that, oh my gosh, how did I even do this without you? I mean, I need you for everything now because when we're, when we're younger in our faith, we're get, he, he lets us get away with a little more. You know, we're, we're doing things, we're thinking things, we're, we're a little more selfish and we're kind of doing our thing in our Christian walk. But as we grow and realize our need for him, the more we, the more we grow, the more we realize. I mean, that's why Paul said, in you I live and move and have my being. Like everything is about you. And Paul, in the end of his life, was saying, I'm the worst of all sinners. And you look at that, you think, well, that doesn't make any sense. You just wrote most of the New Testament. But it's because, you know, the closer you get to God, the, the more you see how much you need him. The more you see that without him, man, my heart is just black as coal without him. But with him, he can change everything and brings me that freedom that I so desperately need in my life. Amen? All right, would you stand with me? I'll close. I want to read one more verse to you. We talk about resting in God. Man, I, I, I know we all need rest. Life is just chaotic. It just keeps getting more and more chaotic. And I love what the psalmist said here in Psalm 62. He said, my soul finds rest in God alone. There's no other place to look, church. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Incredible words from the psalmist. I, I'm assuming it's David. I didn't look it up. It might not be, but this is somebody that gets it. The only place we're going to find rest is in him. And frankly, that rest he's talking about is really freedom. It's freedom. And it all comes from a relationship with him getting closer to him, being saturated in his word, knowing him and living out our faith. That's where we get to experience that freedom. And you know, sometimes God will set us free from some of those things that ail us instantaneously. I believe that with all my heart. I've seen it. Joy has talked about it. God set her free from fear in a moment after dealing with it her whole life. One night in the middle of the night, God just boom. And she's never been the same walked in complete freedom and that happens but we can't count on that you know Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when they threw them in the fiery furnace they said our God will save us but then they said something we don't always say but even if he doesn't we will not bow down to you right so you could say God's going to set me free from fear but even if he doesn't if he doesn't do it instantaneously, he'll do it over time as I am faithful. 
He doesn't owe us anything, church. But man, this is, he, there's a spiritual principle that happens as we pursue him, as we grow closer to him, the things in our life, the priorities start to change. The, the fears that we have, we start to see his faithfulness through the word and we think, wait a minute, I don't have to fear. You'll start to have revelations of the fact that you don't have to fear because you see the God is really faithful. You're not trying to stop fearing because it's the right thing to do, but because you know it for yourself. So let's live, at, let's live it out. Let's live out our faith. I want to pray for us. I'm going to pray. Just receive this prayer today in the name of Jesus. Father God, we love you today. Lord, your word is true. Your word is true. It sets us free. God, you are so good. Thank you for the freedom that you give us. And Lord, we thank you today that we can know that as our faith grows, we will experience more freedom in our life. I pray that for each person in this place today. In Jesus' name. And I pray for those today that don't even know what it's like to be in a relationship with you. Maybe have never given their life to you, Lord. I pray that your love would touch them in a way today that they would not go another hour without giving you their life. Lord, we thank you that you don't reject any of us. That all are welcome at the foot of the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for your freedom, Father God. Thank you for freedom from sin and shame. Thank you for freedom from lies. Thank you for freedom, God, to rest in you today. We thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you for freedom from hate. Lord, we know that you've called us to love even the unlovable. You've called us to love those that hate us. God, would you help us to do it? We can't do it without you. Lord, I pray that you would, you would rise your church up, that you would raise them up, Lord. God, that we would be agents of love to this world that so desperately needs it. Father God, that there would be no hate coming from the church. Lord, we pray today for all of our politicians, for this great nation, Lord. We pray that you would let your spirit rule and reign in their lives. Lord, that you would bring revival in this country. God, that you would let it start in us. Revive us, Lord, that we'd be passionate about you, not an ideology, but you, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would bring spiritual awakening in this place in this country, Lord, and that it would start in D.C. And Lord, as you would bring, you would cause hearts of politicians to turn to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, that you would be glorified for. We're not looking for glory. We're looking for your glory to be made known. Lord, be exalted, be honored, be lifted high. Let your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We give you all the glory for it, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. Seal this work in our hearts today by your Holy Spirit. We give you all the praise and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Do you believe it today? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God is good. Amen.